Wow. We have a great crowd here today. Man, did you, did you feel it in the room? Whenever the sound, I mean, it just really filled the room. Man, that was like, wow, you love that. Well, I'm Eric Birch. I'm one of the pastors here, and I want to welcome everybody here, everybody that's online. Um, this is, um, you know, there's an old Chinese curse. May you live in interesting times. Um, <laughs> we are definitely living in interesting times. Um, I think that uh, the thing that really to me is really interesting about it is that we all have this differing worldviews, you know, and, and how we see things and how we understand it. Or what I mean by a worldview is basically it's the set of beliefs about which everything is structured, all your fundamental aspects of everything. So when something comes into your life, however it comes into your life, how you understand it and how you begin to understand it is driven by your worldview. And we have, we have tremendously different worldviews around the world. And we've seen that during this pandemic, how people react to it, how they understand it. I've, I've heard just amazing, you're like, where did you come up with that? You know, and, and, uh, and, and then you add the election and everything else. It's like people come up with the weirdest things. And, and you're like, I, I don't know about, I don't do social media. I, I just, I, I reach a limit where I'm like, oh, come on, you know, and, and, uh, but I have, I have people that, friends of mine that do, and they'll say, hey, did you see? And then they'll, I'm like, where did that come from? You know, I'm like, you know, and so anyway, we have, we have God-centric worldviews and we have non-God-centric or what we call non-theistic worldview, right? And so we have monotheistic stuff like Christianity, Islam, Judaism, right? We have a single God, but there's religions that have multiple gods like Hinduism. And then there's, there's those that, that have, like everything's a god, right? Think of the Lion King and the Circle of Life, you know that kind of a thing, you know. Uh, and then we have all these non-theistic ones, you know, like like naturalism and existentialism and nihilism and all these other sorts of things. But the important part is that your worldview, how you understand things, is also how you're going to interpret everything that goes around you. You're, you're going to. Yeah, it's interesting. I just I want the facts. Well, the problem is the facts only start the facts until you hear them, because once you hear them, you've attached your worldview to it, and you interpret that fact the way that you understand the world to be. You know, so for instance, if you have a naturalistic worldview, you don't believe in the supernatural. There is no spiritual. So everything has a logical reason. You can ex- if you can't explain it, it didn't happen. Right? So that's when you get locked into what your worldview is. And we find that, of course, Christianity is a a monotheistic worldview. Um, And not only does it believe in the supernatural, it's dependent on it. Without the supernatural, there is no Christianity. Right? We have to understand events like creating the universe ex nihilo, right? Created out of nothing. Right? The virgin birth, the incarnate sun, the manna in the desert, healing of the sick, resurrection of the dead, those are all supernatural events. And if you don't accept the existence of supernatural, they mean nothing to you. And you can't strip away the supernatural from the God of the Bible because he's not God anymore. And yet we've seen people try to do that. They try to reinterpret biblical events in some logical way. Oh, what really happened must have been this. No, what really happened is what it said is what really happened. So as you know, we're going through right now is is a series based on the I am statements uh, of Jesus. And the goal for the I am statements is trying to understand who Jesus Christ really is. 
And we're going to look today at the, re- the uh, story of, uh, of the I Am statement out of John 11:25. I am the resurrection and the life. So today's first point is Jesus is life and comfort for us today. So we're going to start here with the passage out of a familiar story about the raising of Lazarus from the dead in John 11. Now, Martha and Mary's brother Lazarus is sick. And so they send word to Jesus so that he can come and heal him. Because they understand he's a healer. He shows up. Lazarus is going to be good. But Jesus decides to delay a few days. And by the time he gets there, Lazarus is dead. So we're going to pick up with verse 17 in John chapter 11. So when Jesus came, he found that he already had been in the tomb four days. Now, Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off. And many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. Martha, therefore, when she heard that Jesus was coming, went to meet him. But Mary stayed at home. Now, four days is a significant time according to the Talmud, right? The Talmud is the Jewish book of rules, if you will, because they believe that when a person died, the soul would hover about the body for three or four days until they realize, ooh, this is starting to smell. I guess I can't get back in, and it finally leaves. And so it was really, I know, it's not in the Bible, but it's in the Talmud. But the important part of this is that Jesus had to wait four days because if he'd come back sooner... Based on their worldview, the Jewish worldview, given what it knew of the Talmud, they just said, oh, he wasn't really dead. Jesus just resurrected or resuscitated him from the not quite dead yet. Right. So it was really important to be able to reach them where they really were in what their worldview was for him to wait those four days. Right. There's also a kind of interesting dynamic that goes here. Right. And this is. Martha and Mary are kind of neat people, right? Because Martha's the busy one, you know? Mary, you know, she's more contemplative, you know? So she knows Jesus is coming, and so she goes, okay, Jesus is here. Let's see what he does. Martha's like, no, boom. She heads right off to Jesus, right? And Martha, remember, she's the one, come on, tell my sister to help me in the kitchen. No, no, your sister's got the better deal. So it's an interesting dynamic. We're not going to get into all that, but uh, so we're going to pick up at verse 21. Martha then said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Even now I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Now, Martha is like many of us. We believe in Jesus Christ. We're confident that he'll do what he says he will do. But we fail to understand the depth of what he can do, what he is willing to do. We set practical bounds on what Jesus can do. Right? Once again, we have this worldview that says, why in the world would the creator of the universe, the one who spoke everything into existence, do that for me? We put these limits on what God can do, as if somehow he is not capable of doing whatever he wants to do whenever he wants to do it. Martha states that whatever Jesus asks of God, he will get. But she doesn't seem to understand. That means raising Lazarus from the dead right now. Right? She's got this long scope 
of when Lazarus is going to be raised from the dead. Additionally, notice that she says, whatever you ask of God, God will give you. So she believes that Jesus' power comes through God as if Jesus is some sort of super prophet. You know, I go to God, say, hey, God, here's what I need. Boom, God brings it to me. She does not grasp that Jesus Christ is God. Martha's mind has accepted that there will be a resurrection in the last days, and Lazarus and everybody else who believes in Jesus will rise to eternal life with the Father in heaven. She has confidently set her belief in the resurrection on the mantle of her house to be looked at, to be watched for, as in something of the future. She doesn't understand that the resurrection from Jesus Christ starts today, now, once you know him. If you believe in him, you have him now. She doesn't understand all that he's capable of doing. There's a remarkable story of, of, of a British couple lived near London, and they had this beautiful Chinese vase sitting on the mantle of their fireplace in this modest home that they lived in. Now, he had been serving in Asia, and he had brought this vase and some other Chinese things back with him, and he thought it was really beautiful, and so did she, and so they've left it there, sitting on the mantle for years and years and years. Well, when the couple died, the, husband, the, uh, bro- the brother and sister had to empty the house, something, unfortunately, many of us had to do. And they had these neat Chinese things, and they took it to a local art curator and said, hey, he seemed to think this is really beautiful. Are they worth anything? And the art curator looked at them, immediately recognized where they, what they were, brought them to the Bainbridge Auction House, where the vase previously belonging to the Chinese Emperor Quinlong was sold for $85 million at auction. Yeah, exactly. Can you imagine what their life would have been had they realized they had an $85 million vase sitting on their mantle? But that's what we do with Jesus Christ. We think, oh great, I have a resurrection. I have a life insurance policy to eternity. I'm going to set you on the mantle because... I know in the future I'm good. But that's not Jesus Christ. We should be a prayer on our minds to get to know Jesus Christ, his love, his peace, the loving kindness that he brings to us. Why is he trial and tribulation that drives us away from where we should be driven to? I know I've gone through times I'm like, where are you? Why are you letting this happen? And it shouldn't be, Lord, thank you, you're letting this happen. Help me understand why it's happening. Because I'll tell you, a lot of times I don't. I remember a few Christmases ago, they had uh, one of the kids asked, well, what would you get Jesus for Christmas? And she said, an iPhone, because then he could text me. And I'm thinking, amen, <laughs> you know? Wouldn't you love to get a text that says, oh, good, I won't go there, you know? <laughs> yeah. yeah, it doesn't work that way, right? All right, so Martha makes another mistake in that she sees the promise as impersonal, right? Martha's answer in verse 24 says, I know he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. So she lumps Lazarus' resurrection into billions of other people that are also going to be resurrected on the last day. She doesn't see it as a personal event. We worship a God that is transcendent and imminent. What does that mean? Those are good 
go to class, cemetery, learn words, right? So go back to your worldview and how we see God. A transcendent means that his nature and power is wholly independent of the material universe, beyond all known physical laws. There is nothing that God can't do. Right? He's not bound by anything. And he's imminent means that he's fully present in the physical world and thus accessible to us. There's a... C.S. Lewis wrote a really interesting article, and it was about talking about how prayer impacts what's going on. And we think of prayer as, we think of it temporally, right? We think of it as, I pray, God reacts or doesn't react, as this linear thing. He's like, no, God is imminent. All of it occurred at the same time. He's not bound by time. He doesn't, he sees all of it. He sees the whole process and has made those decisions before anything else. I know that, right? I mean, it's, but we have to understand that there is nothing he's not capable of. He He's not, he created time. And the most important part is that we worship a personal God, a God of relationship. You know, it's interesting, when you compare the God of Christianity to the God of Islam, they believe that they have a God that's transcendent, but his God, their God is not imminent. He is not nearby. He is not looking to help them. They look at what they have to sacrifice to get maybe in favor of their God. Maybe. Not us. We have a God who's imminent. He's there, and we know he's there, and he wants a relationship with us. Verse 25. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies, and everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord, I have believed that you are the Christ, the Son of God, even he who comes into the world. Now, it's interesting to me the way that Jesus answers Martha. Right? He doesn't get angry with her that she thinks he's super prophet and gets his power from God the Father. He doesn't scold her. He doesn't get angry. She probably thought she was honoring Jesus by saying, anything you ask of God, he will give you. And doesn't realize that really what she's doing is she's ignoring his power, the power of Jesus Christ in personally. No, and I believe what he says in a, a soft and tender voice to Martha, who's that is, she's the loss of her brother. She, the whole thing going on is she's not getting the big picture. And I think in a soft and tender voice, he looked at her and said, no, I'm the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live, even if he dies. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. He's trying to help Martha understand the reality of who he is. He wants Martha to have a true hope and faith in Jesus Christ, to understand he is now. Jesus tells Martha that the resurrection isn't something he has to pray for. It's not something he has to go and get so that he can give it to someone else. He is the resurrection and the life. Martha is looking to a distant future for the resurrection and the sky for the resurrection and the life when the resurrection and the life is standing next to her. Can you imagine? I just... 
when I think of that, you know, Martha's got to be going, wow, you know. Now, I have to be honest um, about this. this. Relationships is something I struggle with. Um, I grew up with very few friends because, to me, having friends was very, very risky. Um, there are very few people that I shared my life with because too many times those I shared it with would use it against me. So I have a very small number of friends. And where I went to church, God was not the God that I know him today. God was the God of discipline. To me, God was this supernatural being sitting up in heaven playing cosmic whack-a-mole. You know? You disobeyed whack. You disobeyed whack. That was the God I knew. I remember the first time I heard this song, I had a friend in Jesus. To me, that was blasphemy. What do you mean, friend in Jesus? Are you kidding me? That's not God. God's not your friend. I just, I, I, couldn't, I couldn't imagine that. He wasn't my friend. He was this cosmic punisher I had to worry about. And then on a special day 28 years ago, I met Jesus. And it became less about knowing about Jesus. It became knowing Jesus. And that desire to get to know who he was, who he is, and who he always will be. I hate to say it now, even just the thought of that song, I'm a friend of Jesus, brings tears to my eyes because it's, it's an amazing transition that I went through in my life when I realized this creator of the universe, this, the, the voice that spoke into existence, all that is, wants to be my friend, wants to have a relationship with me. That's alien. I mean, it really was a difficult struggle for me. All right, let's move on. (laughs) Verse 38. So Jesus, again, being deeply moved within, came to the tomb. Now it was a cave, and a stone was lying against it. Jesus said, remove the stone. Martha, the sister of the deceased, said to him, Lord, by by this time there will be a stench, for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, did I not say to you that if you believe, you'll see the glory of God? Poor Martha. (laughs) She's still not quite getting it. So two important things we see here. First of all, Jesus cares. Because Jesus was moved. His friend Lazarus died. He wept. I mean, he knew what he was going to do, but he still knows the pain and suffering the death of Lazarus caused. Again, he's not some distant, impersonal, capricious deity. He loves us and cares deeply for us. The second thing to see here is that Martha still doesn't quite get it. Jesus is the author, the giver, and maintainer of life. Jesus is life itself. And Martha doesn't understand. That's control over temporal life as well. He has power to give temporal life to the physically dead, but more importantly, he has the ability to give eternal life to the spiritual dead. Verse 41, then Jesus raised his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I I knew that you always hear me. But because of the people standing around, I said it so that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. 
The man who had died came forth, bound hand and foot with wrappings. His face was wrapped around with a cloth. Jesus said to them, Unbind him and let him go. Jesus is not some miracle worker with a simple powerful feat at his disposal. right? His deeds were there to promote belief. Promote understanding of who he is. The life of that he the the um, interactions he had with the life of, of Martha and Mary and Lazarus was there to help them understand who he was and to help us understand. We have, in the words of Scripture, the ability to understand who Jesus is, and we have that relationship with him to be able to understand what does that mean to us and how do we apply that in our lives. So the second point is that Jesus is life and comfort to all believers. For eternity. So we know he's life and comfort for us now, but he's also life and comfort for eternity. He's the life, he's also the resurrection. He that believes in me will never die. So the resurrection is life now. We are resurrected into a new body. Those of us that we were spiritually dead, we're not. We're alive in a new body. And we have this relationship with the Creator in that new body, and that relationship will last for eternity. Now, not that physical death is without pain, and most of us will pass through that process. Um, I know it's, I have a friend of mine, he's like, oh, see, see what's happening? It's going to happen any day now. Well, <laughs> Sorry, they've been saying that for a couple thousand years, right? <laughs> so, one thing I've learned is predicting the second coming is probably not a good plan. Uh, but the thing is, again, we have to go through this natural change from physical life through physical death. But as a believer, we will never die again. Our souls will never die again. We die to our sinful lives and become believers in Jesus. We are done dying spiritually. When I say that Jesus is a comfort for eternity, I mean two things. First of all, we have comforted those who are looking forward to eternity with confidence. And we are looking forward to eternity. I, I'll be honest with you, there's nothing to me that's more exciting. He said, it's time to go. I'm like, I'm right in. You know, I'm ready to go. Especially that new body part. So, you know, that's, <laughs> I'm looking forward to that one. So anyway, there's an interesting dynamic in what happened that day, right? Lazarus was raised from the dead four days after he died. Now, four days doesn't seem like long, and so there probably wasn't a whole lot of change that went around in his life. So, boom, he's back alive, and other than being resurrected from the dead, it was your usual week, you know. <laughs> the, uh, but the thing I had to wonder about that, did he get a taste of glory? You know, he said, absence of the body is presence with the Lord. Did he have a taste of glory? And I hear people who have had a loved one pass, oh, I wish he could be back here with me, or I wish he could be back here with me. And I think, wouldn't that suck? To be up there in glory, to be enjoying the presence of the Lord, and all of a sudden you're back in a perishable body, just to die again. And yet, we don't know whether Lazarus saw glory or not. But I can't imagine if he had seen glory to know that he's coming back and he's got to go through this whole dying thing all over again. Man, because again, we know Lazarus died. 
You know, Enoch and Elijah avoided the pain of death, but not too many other folks have. In fact, those are the only two I know of. Um, But we know that when the Lord returns, there will be no death. First Corinthians chapter 15, verse 47. The first man was of the dust of the earth. The second man is of heaven. As was the earthly man, so are those who are of the earth. And as is the heavenly man, so also is those who are of heaven. And just as we have borne the image of the earthly man, so shall we bear the image of the heavenly man. I declare to you, brothers and sisters, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. In a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For the perishable must close itself with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality. When the perishable has been closed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The resurrection is our comfort for eternity. When we'll get there, we don't know. Some of us probably sooner than others. But we know when we get there that we will have presence with the Lord for eternity. And all this will seem like a blur. The believer's story does not end in death, but in life. The unbeliever's life ends in death. Non-believer is a prison sentence in hell. To the believer, it is a room in God's mansion. For the non-believer, death is an execution. To the believer, it's the shedding of an imperishable body for an imperishable one. For the non-believer, death is the beginning of the worst of terrors. For the believer, it's the end of all terrors. Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. Grasp the reality and enjoy your resurrected life. Enjoy it today. If you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, you can. He wants that relationship with you. If you're with us here today, after the music, the pastors and elders and prayer people will come up to the front, come up to any of us, and we would be really more than happy to talk to you about it. If you're watching us online, you can connect with us through the website. Uh, Our contact information is there. Don't let they go without knowing Jesus. Get the peace, joy, loving kindness that only he can offer. Lord, we are so grateful for you. You are the life, the resurrection, the eternity. We know that all things are possible through you. That you have the great gift that you have given to us, your gracious and merciful heart. We just pray, Lord, help us to find you, to have a relationship with you, to hear your voice, to spend time with you, block out the noise of the world we live in today, and hear your voice. 
Again, Lord, we are just so thankful for all that you do. Please stand in this resurrection, this uh, benediction. (laughs) Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and forever. Amen.